HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief with your hosts, Sara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. On this show, we're going to really explore where grief and food intersect, how they go hand in hand, different people's experiences with their specific traumas and how food played a part from the beginning to the end of that experience. And how as individuals, we uniquely process life's traumas and losses through either the longing for, the creating of, the avoiding of, the obsessing over, and the eating of food. I remember right after Michael died, I still miss him, but I missed him so badly that night that I stopped at the convenience store on the corner and I bought a container of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. It's too sweet, you know, it's too everything. And I went home with it and I took it to bed And I thought to myself, gee, so this is my first menage a trois after Michael's death. (laughs) Me, Ben, and Jerry. And I ate the entire thing. What do you think your relationship to food was during times of crisis? I think that um, my sister and I use food to reward ourselves. I wish I had something more interesting to say, but definitely like spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) My mom still can't eat rugula. It makes her too sad. I've also experienced a lot of loss, as has Bobby. And I think we really wanted to find a way where we could like work together. There's something that feels very compelling about doing a project with you, Mom, um, as just kind of a missing piece in life and just something we've always wanted to do but not known quite how. can't think of anything better myself. I think that, I mean, any conversation about grief, I think, prepares everyone for grief because there are so few conversations about grief. It's why I think that what you guys are doing is so important. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. I'm Greg Benson. <clears throat> hey, buddy. How are you? Hey, dude. I'm great. How have you been, man? Uh, really well. It's been a long time since we've been in the studio together. It has been a minute. What have you been up to? Uh, nothing. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> no, quite a bit. Um, so we ended the last live show uh, back in late November. 
Uh, and then I did the Union Square Holiday Market where I had a booth selling bitters and my books. Uh, and it was... Um, very cheerful. It was an experience. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah, 33 days in a row of being outside in New York City during the holidays at the Union Square Holiday Market. Over 1 million individuals walk through that thing every year. It was... Again, it was an experience. Yeah, it's like a whole little village that just like springs up the week before Thanksgiving, and then after Christmas, like magic, it's gone. It's like Brigadoon; oh, it just pff, disappears. Yeah, 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 like a like a little oasis that was there in your dreams, and then poof, it's gone. Yeah, like, and again, thirty three days of having to be there every morning, all day long, ten hours a day. I did the whole thing myself. Um, rain or shine, right? Rain or shine, or sleet or snow, or whatever. Yeah, they never shut it down, and and then and then you know you get into this. You know, like they say, 20, 21 days is a habit, right? So did it for 33 days, and then suddenly, poof, it's gone. And you wake up, and you're like, it's almost like, what was it, postpartum depression. You're like, oh, my God, I'm so it's, this thing is over, and I'm kind of glad it's over, but at the same time, I'm depressed about it being over. Picturing you kind of wandering around just regular Union Square. Just, just trying like, to sell it? people stuff. <laughs> Anybody want book. some bitters? <laughs> buy my book. Buy my book. Let's get blitzing. Yeah. Uh, so, I, that, and it's kind of, then the other side of that coin is it's also just a blur. You know, um, it was closed for two days. Um, well, no, sorry. It was only closed for one day, which was Thanksgiving. So I had Thanksgiving off. And then it ended on Christmas Eve. So then I had Christmas Day off. But then I was back at the bar the day after that. So it was like, it's such a, I don't know. It was a huge thing that seems like it didn't happen. That's the weird thing about this time of year, man, is I feel like, you know, everyone, you know, you get, you get all this like, oh man, I got to do this, this, and this by the end of the year. And I got to get all my shopping done. And I got to see all these people. And, you know, we live in New York, so... Every fucking buddy you've ever known, when they're like, "I should go to New to to uh, take a trip to New York," they pick December, so everyone's in town. And then this time of year, you kind of wake up on, I guess, January second. And you're like, "Oh, I guess, I guess time still goes on." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess we're happened. back to regular life now. All that stuff happened. Yeah, I think uh, the big challenge of hi everybody is that when you start drinking at four thirty in the afternoon, like it also gets dark, right? So, also that, yeah. yeah. That's a boon for the bar when it starts getting dark early. Um, Greg, what'd you get into? Um, oh man, I've uh, let's see. Since the last time we're here, I've got a new gig, and I put out two episodes of Bar None. Hmm. Those are my two big, uh, which know. are great, by the way. I've listened to them both, and I really Thank enjoy you, them. You know, I tell people all the time when I'm explaining, you know, our show, um, which is just a live, non-edited thing, um, just us chatting, um, and then I talk about your show about how I think it's so polished. You know, it's uh, it's highly produced very edited it's got characters and skits and vignettes and music and i think it's incredible and it's like a great mix of history and you know um you know current topic like i, I love it i love your show thank you man that's thank my you. endorsement that's my endorsement for your show and i saw and uh, i saw the you wrote a check, review check on payable iTunes. to other t yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's in the mail man Shh. yeah um i did write a review and i and i and i, I meant it you know like i i believe it's a, it's a great show and, and i'm happy that your second season is up and i was i was anxiously awaiting it being there because I, and, and also patiently, because I get that, like, you put a lot of effort into it, and it's amazing. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's just, it's been great this fall and winter to have the time to actually work on it. You know, I was sitting on all this interview tape with great people like uh, Robert Simonson, like Garrett Oliver, like um, uh, Beach Bum Barry is going to be on an upcoming episode, and I just didn't have the time to produce it. So it's been great now with the way things have, you know, worked out in my professional life that I have the time to actually sit down and really like, you know, work at 40 hours a week and get it, get it out there. So that's pretty um, amazing. And now you're slinging some drinks, uh, slinging some mezcal, right? I am. Yep. Uh, I'm also working at the illegal pop-up, which is on second and St. Mark's in the East village. Um, it was only supposed to be there a month, 
but it was... Uh, <laughs> I've heard this story before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a small bar, only supposed to be there a month, pop-up, kind of stuck around. I, I can't, I'm trying to think of some other examples in the right. East Village, but none are coming to me. Um, but yeah, we're there. We just got an extension through the spring. So we're there uh, every night except Sunday, 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. Uh, it's based on Cafe No Say, which is a very famous mezcal bar down in Antigua. Um so we, we keep it very simple. We do mezcal, we do beer, uh, we have live music every single night. Uh, it's a very tiny spot, and it's just, uh, it's. I, I understand the appeal now of, like, I mean, I've always been a fan of being on the patron side of Amori and Margo, but I get the appeal of being on the other side, of being able to be like, this is what we do, this is all we do, we do it well, welcome to the eight people that are making my bar now feel full, come on up and come right. on up and uh, let's let's chat a little bit about this spirit. Yeah. It's fun. It's a fun spot. Outstanding. Uh, so you'll be doing that till the spring. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And then you'll be jobless again. Um, <laughs> the joy, uh, the joy of job hunting in, in New York City. Well, listen, uh, we're finally back live, and we got a guest in the studio. You already heard him speak a little bit. Um, uh, we got uh, uh, Jordan here from Q Mixers. You've changed your name again. Yes, it's the third <laughs> the, the third time's a charm. I hope third time's right? a charm. So yeah. welcome, Jordan. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you, man. So. Um, Q Mixers, which was formerly Q Drinks, which was started as Q Tonic. Yep. Right? You're evolving. I love evolution. Yes. And if I you're think... not uh, busy being born, you're busy dying, right? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's go back to the being born. Yeah. What started this all off? My assumption was wrong. I met you uh, uh, earlier today, just talk before the show, and I was like, well, I assume you started out in a bar somewhere, and you, you immediately jumped in and said, no way. No. I didn't know nothing about nothing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I came from the other side, from the drinking. Um, I've always drank a lot of gin is the real answer. Um, it's the best way to learn, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, one night I, you know, I had a day job, a real job. I had a bunch of friends over at my back, my house in Brooklyn. I was in Fort, um, Fort Greene at the time. And, uh, it's a gorgeous summer night. And for whatever reason, we were drinking gin and tonics that night and drink after drink. And uh, a couple drinks in my uh, teeth started feeling sticky. I was like, that's kind of weird. One of my friends was t- telling the same stupid story he always tells. So I picked up uh, uh, the Schweppes, and, uh, a bottle of Schweppes, and looked at it. And saw 25 grams of high fructose corn syrup, sodium, benzoate, natural, and artificial flavors. Like, what is this? I thought it was like supposed to be some bitter water thing. Um, one of my friends, then girlfriend, now wife and mother of his two kids, uh, she had like a stomach ache. So she was like in, drinking Sprite or something that night. I was like, Sarah, can I look at your Sprite for a second? She said, sure. Passed it over to me. Looked at the ingredients. 25 grams of high fructose corn syrup, sodium benzoate, natural and artificial flavors. I'm like, guys, these are like the same thing. One's just green, the other one's yellow. Um, <laughs> isn't that weird? And being my good friends, they're like, whatever. Um, yeah, they're but, like, whatever, pour yeah, me another gin tonic. Exactly. Uh, and fortunately for me, gin has a real way of clarifying my thinking. I can like see what's important. I can have blinders to the rest of the world. I can see what's fundamentally important in the world. Um, and granted, I had had five or six gin and tonics at the time. So you were approaching nirvana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I used to be... The moment of enlightenment. Yeah, I feel like I'm in my 20s. I could drink five or six gin and tonics on a Tuesday night and be pretty good on a Wednesday morning. Um all of a sudden, I looked up, and I saw this tan gray bottle there you know, glowing in the moonlight. I remember, everything was perfect. Like, the way the Christmas tree lights up, my best friends in the world. Obviously, I had six gin and tonics. And then I looked over at the bottle of Schweppes, and I was like, 
what a piece of crap. You know, the label. This episode sponsored by Schweppes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I obviously knew what was in the bottle. Uh, the label was peeling off. It was dented on top. It was plastic. And it's like, why is there not a better tonic water? Um, I should, someone should make one. You know what? I'm going to make one. And I put my finger up in the air. And uh, long story short, I did. Long story just a bit longer. Uh, the next morning when my head cleared, I figured out what tonic water was supposed to be. It was supposed to be this thing called quinine, which is salt, like an alkaloid that comes from a bark of a tree from Peru that initially cured malaria um, or cures malaria and was used as a malarial medicine. A uh, little sugar and, car- and then carbonated water. Uh, but the big soda companies had treated tonic water like a soda, which is how do you make the cheapest thing possible to produce as opposed to the like most delicious thing. So I figured out how to order a bag of bark on the internet and started mixing stuff in my, up in my kitchen. And my roommate at the time was yelling at me for turning the kitchen into an absolute mess. He's like, what is this, a fucking meth lab or something here? Like I had pots and pans and everything boiling. Uh, eventually I came up with a quinine syrup, kind of what you would see at some of these fancy bars and restaurants around town or something like Tomer's Tonic, one of those. And I'd get invited over to people's houses and uh, I'd say, okay, I want to make homemade gin and tonics. Um, which was, you know, g- gin, a splash of the tonic syrup and some carbonated water uh, and stir it really quickly. Um, but I was down this like rabbit hole and I guess gin, gin helps, but the bubbles drove me nuts. So I realized I needed to find like an industrial facility to make the thing or else it would always be flat. And frankly, that's my complaint when I go to a place that makes their own tonic water. I love that they put the energy into it, but it's never as carbonated as you can do at an industrial facility. So I made like 500 cases, and frankly, I thought I was just going to drink them myself and kind of you know give them away to my friends for their birthdays. This is your hobby mode still. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, and I posted on Chowhound, which was like back in the mid-2000s. Does that still exist? I don't know. It was like, <laughs> I used to read Chowhound. Like, like, go to Chowhound and then check your friendster. Yes, yeah. like yeah. hacking into the mainframe to post. But anyway, I post like, hi, my name is Jordan. I made my own tonic water. Does anyone want to try it? Uh, and in retrospect, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Um, so this was like 2006. And this at, the, at that point, uh, bartenders had realized, hey, you can squeeze fresh juice in a, uh, a cocktail to taste be- better. You can muddle fresh mint. You can f- muddle fresh basil. Uh, or if you want to do rosemary vodka, infused vodka, you can actually just put a sprig of rosemary in a bottle of vodka and let it sit for three days. But somehow tonic water was this holy grail that hadn't been cracked yet because you needed an industrial facility to actually make the bottles with a lot of carbonation. So when I posted this, I almost immediately got an email from Jim Meehan, who at that point was the head bartender at Gramsci Tavern, obviously later went on to start PDT and a bunch of other things and is A, a nice guy, but B, a wildly successful uh, bartender and mixologist and kind of industry spirits, industry leader in the spirits industry. He said, you know, I'd love to try it. Can you bring by the bar? And I'm like, what bar? It's the Gramercy Tavern. I was like, oh, my God, absolutely. Gramercy Tavern and just one best restaurant in the world or something. Went it down. Went down there. He loved it, uh, and the reason he loved so he, it. So wait, um, did I miss? He spotted you on Chowhound. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> totally amazing. And, yeah, and he tried it, and he was like, "Wow, this is so much better. We we're using real quinine instead of like a synthetic flavor. A little organic agave to sweeten it instead of loads of high fructose corn syrup." And 4.3 gas volumes of carbonation instead of, you know, just stuffing whatever the plant makes in, in, in the plastic bottle. So he tried it. He said, I'd love to buy, I'd love to buy it. Who's your distributor? And talk about knowing nothing about nothing. <laughs> I said, distributor? What's a distributor? He's like, oh, just go, go get set up with finance and we'll figure something out. So I did all this paperwork. Uh, by the time I got home, um, I got another email. And this one was from Sasha from Milk and Honey. 
And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and first of all, oh my God. But second, he uh, said, can you bring by the bar tonight to try it? I'm like, sure. Uh, he tried, he loved it. And he look, looked at me, he says, okay, can you deliver after close tonight? And I'm like, sure, what time's close? He said, 2.30 in the morning. And I said, sure. So I borrowed a car, delivered five, uh, five cases out of the car, and got paid cash out of the register. Um, about three weeks later, Simon Ford, who later went on to start Ford's Gin, but at that point was at Plymouth, um, called me up and said, hey, we're doing this big event at Rockefeller Center. Uh, do you want to do Ultimate Gin Tonics, my gin, your tonic? I was thinking about some doing some like Junior Marino, like 10-ingredient cocktail, but I really want to get back to the classic gin tonic. I'm like, sure. And how'd you get my phone number? He's like, oh, I got it from Sasha. Whatever. So <laughs> I saw your post on Chowham. Yeah. So I said, sure. He's like, what do I need to do to show up to in next Thursday with 10 cases? Uh, showed up, and uh, I bet you a number of your podcast listeners have uh, consumed a beverage or two with Simon Ford. Uh, but he and I had a pretty good time, drank a lot of gin tonics, poured a lot of gin tonics for, for the crowd, one of whom uh, was Florence Fabricant, who was the head um, writer for the Dining In section in New York Times. Hello, Fab. Yeah. And she loved it. Her husband loved it. We got into this long talk about whether you put the lime in before the tonic water or after the tonic water. Anyway, I had enough drinks with Simon that I barely remember the conversation. But uh, the next morning, I got a call from the fact-checking department of the New York Times saying they were going to write this big article on me the next Wednesday. I'm like, holy shit and holy shit. Um, I didn't have a website, I didn't have anything. Um, so I got a website up in two days. Um, Before the article came out? Yeah. Okay, smart. <laughs> and then the article hit, it was really nice. And it was basically, the website was like, if you want to buy this, call Jordan, and here's a cell phone number. <laughs> so that next week I got... Uh, like a digital eight, card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 800 uh, calls from like what? around the world. I had like bars in Japan calling me like, Where, what distributor do you have in Japan? I'm like, what? <laughs> so I said no to just about everybody except a couple other fancy restaurants in New York City that I could borrow a car and deliver to. And the flagship uh, Whole Foods store in Austin, Texas. They wanted to buy a pallet. So I, of course, uh, said yes. And now I give all these tips to young entrepreneurs. I say, when you're starting and someone wants to buy something, there's only one way to answer that question. And it's with one word. The answer is yes. So I said yes. And then I, meanwhile, Google, figure out what a pallet is. It's like, oh, that's what those wood things are on the side of the road. <laughs> How do I get one of them to my house, get the product on there, get the product down to Texas. Da, da, da. Anyway, figured all that out, and then me and my then girlfriend, now wife and mother of my two kids, we went down to Austin, Texas, and did an in-store demo, uh, demo, and poured, hey, try my tonic water, try my tonic water. And uh, by day and at night, it was you know Tex-Mex food and margaritas, and uh, we sold through that palette. And when I came back, I was like, thank God, I think I got something here. Um, so again, I want to reemphasize: this is still hobby mode. Yes, I it's think it's a I, hobby that's making you some money, but it's not a substantial. No, no, no. But at it's that paying point, for itself at yes. least. And about two months later, I finally quit my job, raised a little money, basically pay my salary, uh, used the New York Times article. We at that point were at Milk and Honey, Little Branch, which was Sasha's other place, mm-hmm. Grammar's Tavern, and Blue Hill at Stone Barns. And prestigious names all. Yes, yeah. and then Whole Foods flagship store. And then the, by that point, the five Whole Foods in New York City. So I could like show a pathway. Also, it just like made sense. Again, there'd just been this explosion in craft spirits and just high-end drinking. And this tonic water was kind of just like a gap in the market. Fever Tree, I later found out, was had started in the UK about the same time, maybe a year earlier. But in the US, no one was really doing it. And uh, so I did that, convinced my best friend to quit my jo- his job and kind of went after it. 
uh, and I want to say it's been roses and candy canes since, but it's been 13 years, um, friggin' slog. Um, but now our stuff is served at, you know, tens, thousands of uh, better bars and restaurants, not just the Four Seasons, like nationally in Milk and Honey, but also like P.F. Chang's and Buffalo Wild Wings. So there's like more and more places are uh, kind of upping their, uh, not only their specialty cocktails, but also their highball service. Um, and then we're at tens of thousands of retailers because people, are drinking well at home. You were just at that uh, holiday thing in uh, Union Square. Like people are buying those bitters uh, yeah. to drink at home. These, yeah. This is a very different world than it was when I started drinking you know, 20 odd years ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, this is a great place to take a pause and hear from our sponsors. Um, but we'll be right back with more of what you're kind of doing. So this is we, you caught us up to speed. Now we'll come we'll come back and talk about what you're doing now with with uh, Q Mixers. Uh, we're here with uh, Jordan Silbert from Q Mixers. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. And we're back on the Speakeasy. Uh, today's guest, we got uh, Jordan Silbert from uh, Q Mixers hanging out and talking to us about gin tonics. Uh, uh, so, so far, talking about just gin tonics. We're going to talk about mixers eventually, yeah, yeah. I assume. I'll tell you the story you, on that, You've too. broadened your line quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you were talking about all this kind of beginning around 2006, 2007, and gaining popularity. And then and then now you say you're you're in places like P.F. Chang's, which is amazing to me, because that place is like in every mall everywhere, right? It's crazy. Uh, and you have mall? Is that how yeah, it works? Yeah, yeah. When you get one, you get them all? 267 of them, yeah. It's I like think Pokemon. So. Yeah. Wow. Collect them all. Um, I had asked off the air um, if you had any any notion of, because uh, I don't know when it happened, but I know that it happened when Ferran Adria uh, from Il Bali famously did a gin tonic on yep. television, and he changed kind of the world's vision of a gin tonic, put it in a large goblet glass, which is, uh, you know, with, with tons and tons of ice and a few uh, botanicals that aren't typical, you know, we think of it just as a wedge of lime, but he put in some juniper berries and a bit of herbs and some thinly sliced lemons and yeah. like made a whole production out of it and, yeah. and like kind of changed the world's view on what a gin tonic is. Did that happen at your beginning? Or did Yeah, you, it was you... like, I think 2007, around that, that point. And I, 
again, I don't come from the industry, and I just kind of have this general thought that a gin and tonic or a Moscow Mule or a, uh, even a vodka soda, um, which we actually did a party at your bar at one point on yeah. a vodka soda, mm-hmm. can be as special as any specialty cocktail. What <laughs> about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah, when did this happen? We had a vodka soda party. I completely party. forgot about that. Uh, it was during um, bartender, unofficial bartender week, and we crammed the entire, we took everything off the back bar except uh, we had, uh, what was it, Industry City Vodka and your... Uh, soda. soda. Yeah, Q Club Soda. And uh, I'm going to say probably, I don't know, 80 or more bartenders showed yeah. up to have a <laughs> to have their one and only shot at getting a vodka soda at a Mori Marco. Yeah. <laughs> but like those drinks can actually be really special or as special as any special Oh, cocktail. we had a fucking great day. Yeah. Exactly. So he did that. I didn't know about it. Again, I don't come from the industry. But I remember Oyamel, which was Jose Andres' first uh, place in D.C., uh, had a specialty gin and tonic that was... M- uh, kind of based on that and I had using our stuff and at this point we were like FedExing product again we didn't have a distributor or anything so we're FedExing product to them they were going through a decent amount <laughs> good for your um, bottom line right? so yeah then at some point I was in DC my sister lived down there at something at some point and uh, I drank it I was like oh my god it had like the little flower petals and all that and it was just wonderful again it changes your view on gin and tonics and then some distributor in Spain started ordering like a container of it a month uh, and so I knew something was going on in Spain, but like I just had my hands full. I was making this one product, um, and it was me going up to the plant for a week and literally batching all the things at 5.30 in the morning. Or actually, it started at 6. So we'd start batching at 5, then it would run from 6 to, to 4 or 5 in the afternoon, and I'd be watching each and every bottle come off the line because um, the fill lines were off and it wasn't that fancy of a plant, so it was very manual so i had to kind of stay on top You're of like <laughs> lucille ball exactly the, oh, that's what it was candy go by <laughs> and then so we it was small enough that i had to be there for like a week to do it uh and then each night i would try to drink as much to be hungover enough to not be a, a pain in the butt the next day when like things weren't going well i would just be like <laughs> mellow so i would do that for a week i'd come back and like deliver um the product to the to our accounts uh each week and then i would spend a week um, uh, trying to sign on new accounts, and then the last week, uh, A, trying to spend time with my girlfriend, uh, but B, also trying to get paid by the people who we had sold it to. <laughs> so it was like four years later, and you know, literally from day one, Jim Meehan was asking me, hey, Jordan, can you make a ginger ale as good as your tonic? Like, it's embarrassing for me to serve Schweppes ginger ale next to your tonic. And while you're at it, uh, you should be able to make a ginger beer <laughs> if you're making a ginger ale. And you know what's even easier? A club soda. I'm like, Jim, you're absolutely right. I just like don't have my act together. I don't have any money. I don't have distributors. I don't know what I'm doing. So it took me four years. Um, and when I look back at like the kind of right decisions we made or I made, uh, it was taking that extra like six months to come out with the ginger ale. By that point, I had people like calling, random people calling me like flavor houses. I didn't even know what a flavor house was. But I had people calling me up saying, hey, I got a ginger ale flavor. You can use that. And there's a a guy who grew up not so far from here, Jay-Z, um, who has a great line that says, treat your first like your last and your last like your first. And so I knew with this ginger ale that if I made something as terrific as the tonic water, I'd have permission to kind of do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. But if I just had a good tonic water and a crappy ginger ale, people like, I oh, just makes tonic water and kind of just line extended the whole thing out. So I agonized, went over like 25 different recipes for ginger ale. And I don't want to bore you too much with the technical details, but ginger ale actually has a different taste profile than a tonic water, whereas a tonic water is very angular and sharp and distinct. Uh, a ginger ale needs to be more voluptuous, kind of rounder and fuller. And so the trick of just doing you know, agave and quinine, or quinine and agave, a lot of carbonation makes great tonic water. 
ginger plus agave plus a lot of carbonation did not make a great ginger ale. Mm -hmm. So I agonized about it, finally sourced some expensive ingredients, found rose oil, which cost $1,000 an ounce, put a little of that in, coriander, cardamom, um, and finally tasted something that was awesome. And then once we did that, kind of had permission to go to bars and restaurants, like, hey, we want to offer mixtures that are as great as all the beers you guys have, as great as all the fish that you guys sell, as great as all the wines you serve. And that kind of enabled us to, to start doing that. Um, I mean, we're a nerdy crowd, okay, right? We like to dig into the minutiae, you know, like uh, bartenders, chefs, like, and, yeah. and I am one of both of those, yeah, yeah. Uh, plus just the people in our business, yeah, yeah. you know, baristas, like they like to dig, dig, dig down to the very, you know, minutiae. So I th that all makes sense to me. Okay, cool. And now I want to ask this, though. You, you keep saying, you know, uh, I was never in this business. Now you're four years in, you're saying, at this point in the story. And you're putting together this recipe. Where are you coming up with this recipe? So You knew to make your tonic. But even that, you sort of scraped around to figure out. So the answer, you, do you have a, a college roommate <clears throat> yeah. worked for a perfume company. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and I, like, got to this point where... I, I, whatever, I'll let my pants down and be super geeky. I got to a point where my ginger ale was like Blenheim, which has like some spice to it, but I think it does not have the depth and complexity that it needs to in order to match up with a good whiskey or a good rum. Um, so I was talking to this guy, and like I was totally transfixed by this, and I was just like a thousand percent in. And then, you know, there's actually a funny line that I found when I was researching that uh, there used to be like hundreds of soda bottlers in like New York City and like thousands around the country, and they would have like competitions like all the craft beer guys have now. And they used to say that you can judge the quality of a bottler's operation by the quality of their ginger ale. And so I had like a uh, like that quote on my bulletin boards, and I'm like, you know, doing the have the Rocky music on. <laughs> da -da -na 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 -na. Um, so I eventually like had this thing that was very pretty, you know, linear with the the spicy ginger and a little agave sweetness, but that and a bunch of carbonation, but nothing else. So he said, I'm going to suggest something that is going to sound crazy to you, and uh, just hear me out. He said you should use rose oil. Said, rose oil. I don't want this thing to taste like my, uh, you know, a grandma's bathroom or anything. And he said, no, no, you don't put that much in. By the way, by the way, you couldn't afford that much anyway. It costs $1,000 <laughs> an ounce. He said, try this. And you know, there's a little just like something in there. And I tasted it. It just had like a, a voluptuousness. It's not like, oh, you know, mommy or like that. But it's something like that. It just had like a voluptuousness, a, a depth uh, that it didn't have before. And then I, once I had that unlocked, then I tried some coriander and cardamom. Like I had a nice chai uh, tea some week before. And I was like, try that. And finally got to a point where that, uh, I figured that out. But again, it took me 25 different iterations, six or seven months to do. Um, but when I look back at where we are today, it was because I took six or seven months to do it right is the thing that came and gave us permission to come out with all these other flavors and gave us credibility among, obviously, the better bartenders Yeah, that's the, the word, credibility. Yeah. You, you, you maintained your, your, your integrity, which right. gave you credibility. Um, uh, do you, when you're, when you're, so now you make multiple flavors. I don't yeah, know how many marks we you have. We'll get ten, into that. We have 10, ten. different flavors. Yeah. Um, when you're thinking about a flavor and you're knowing that the name of your company is Q Mixers, that this is going to be mixed, a.k.a. somewhat diluted, do you then make them so that they're extra potent if they're on their own? Yes. Yeah. We, we designed these to be mixers. So our ginger beer, I think, um, is a great example of that. So uh, Toby from Long Island Bark, basically, uh, he's been one of my pals that I kind of taste things on. He's like, 
I was tasting on my ginger beer. He's like, just don't wimp out. Get someone who wants ginger beer wants ginger <laughs> yeah. ginger beer. So I designed that ginger beer to a, be a mixer and a mixer only. And a lot of other ginger beers try to be a mixer and like a spicy, ready to drink beverage. So as a result, I think they do neither well. So our ginger beer is extra spicy. We put a lot of ginger in. We also put cayenne in. Um, and then extra carbonated. We carbonate our things about four, four point one gas volumes, um, and then a little less sweet. Or what, what's standard? Four point one is extra. So what's standard? For who? For, for carbonation. I don't know. Fever Trees ginger beer is at three point six. Goslings in a can is at two nine. Gotcha. Um, so, so wow, we, you're almost double Goslings. Yeah. So we treat carbonation like an ingredient. Each of our flavors has a different carbonation level, and it's all custom tailored to the end drink. So not for somebody take you know grabbing a, a swig of it. It's hey, I'm going to mix this with warm vodka and ice, um, and so it's got to have extra carbonation to stand up for it. And by the way, someone might want to have two or three of these, so it can't be too sweet because you don't want that sticky sweetness on your mouth because that's not refreshing. This makes total sense to me yeah. as a, you know, again, I was a chef for so long, yeah. and when, you know, when I was on the line myself or when I was an instructor and, and students would be making sauces, and I would say, this sauce, is, it's, got no, it's got no heft, right? Yes. Sauces have to be kind of over-seasoned. Sauces yes. have to be kind of extra potent yes. because you're not eating them on their own. Yes, yes, that's, yes. That's soup. Yes. <laughs> this no. is sauce. Yes. No, that's exactly <laughs> the same things. We approach our mixers like mixers. Um, so our grapefruit soda, which is designed for Palomas and even uh, Mezcal Palomas, it's really freaking grapefruity and then very, very carbonated. So again, so it can, because booze tends to be warm um, and then you have ice. So it's going to be diluted, not just in the first sip, but like the seventh sip, you still want to have a great, great cocktail. Well, I remember the first time I ever tried your, your ginger beer, I, I tried to drink it by itself because I didn't know this philosophy. And every time I took a sip, I would just have the most explosive sneezing fit yeah, just totally. because it's so it get because it is overly carbonated and it has that spice and has that heft yes so after you after the the six months of agonizing over the right recipe for the ginger ale is that the creative process now is that because you've you've expanded beyond that did uh, you take six seven months on all uh, of these or is like, a little bit more streamlined I'm better at this thing and i've also found a guy who could like instead of me mixing the things up in the kitchen and like have my like I don't even have like those you know pipette tubes or anything like that. I'm basically <laughs> right. using uh, jiggers to do, to the whole thing. Like this guy has a lab, and I can tell him, hey, this is what I'm good going for, and source this, and then he'll give me four or five choices. And I'm like, I want this, but with a little more uh, lemon zest, or I want this uh, with a little uh, less sweetness, so I can kind of guide him. So I got a guy who helps me uh, kind of make shortcuts, but it's still in my mouth making the decisions, and I just have somebody else who can make it happen faster. Right, probably keeps your wife happier than having her kitchen yes. be a wreck all the time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a kitchen lab yes. at home. So uh, I, I, I'm really in love with this philosophy because I don't think that other people who are making these things think in those lines, right? They're thinking to themselves, I'm, I want to sell this as a product that people can drink by the glass because that's where I'm going to get depletions, yeah. but also people could mix it into a drink. But then, like you said, maybe they're, they're, they end up kind of doing yeah. both parts people wrong. People ask us what our like, secret sauce is and are, like, how are we different than other mixer companies? And I basically say, well, I can give you these technical things that we make it as a mixer, uh, not a ready-to-drink. Hey, we have agave rather than sugar. Uh, we have more carbonation. But that's actually, those are just the details. The real answer is that we treat our mixers, like the finest wineries treat their wine, the best craft beer guys treat uh, their beer, and the most you know uh, anal uh, spirit companies treat their spirits. Like we just care a lot about these mixers, and we want to make drinks that 
enable people to have great cocktails. At the end of the day, like, life is hard these days. Like, obviously, we see what's going on in Washington. Uh, I have two young kids, a wife. Like, it's kind of crazy. And, like, if I can help have people have better gin tonics or Moscow mules or dark and stormies or Palomas, like, that just makes me happy. Yeah, it's the best part of the end. You get, you get to be – I have uh, – I had a friend who was an EMT for a while, and uh, he said that he was like, it wears on you because, you know, you're – he's like – you know your people only see you on like the worst day of their lives. And we get the, you know, our one of the reasons why our job is great is because we're kind of the exact opposite. It's like we're always interacting with people totally. at the best part of their day. Totally. You know? It's like everything else might have totally sucked. Like maybe like, you know, their boss killed their project at work and they found out that, you know, their husband was having an affair or whatever, but they come to the bar totally. and it's like, okay, at least I'm going to enjoy it's also si- it's also simple too. I feel like there's a l- way too much complexity going on, and I'm not one of these great philosophical f- philosophical thinkers. But I think there's going to be a movement back to just doing the simple things really well. There's just so much complexity, whether it be with politics or technology or whatever. Just like so much noise, and I think people just want like simple things done really really well. That's very relaxing, but also elevated in a way they've grown accustomed to over the last you know 10 15 years. Like you don't, you get good beer, you get good wine, you get good drinks, just about, like even P.F. Chang's, you get them just about every place in America, you can get a decent drink. Well, I think, and I think it, you know, it, it speaks to something that the first three people to contact you about your, you know, your mixer was Sasha Petrasky, Simon Ford, Jim Meehan. It's yeah. not like you had the manager at like Red Robin out in Brighton Beach be like, hey, I, uh, I ran out of Schweppes, <laughs> are you delivering tonight? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it speaks to the fact that there is this need, even though we deal with some really complex shit, there's something to be said for simplicity. There's something to be said for like a really great highball that does yes. two things very well. And that's Which, what, by the way, is definitely coming back into fashion. Oh right? yeah, oh yeah, dude. The highball of, culture is is a thing. Ev- they're everywhere, man. Those highball machines are just sprouting up like weeds these I days. I have one. Really? Yeah, honeybees. I got them to rebrand it. It's uh, I got it branded uh, Jim Beam Rye, and we make Jim Beam Rye balls. <laughs> I'll have to check that out next time. I'm up well, because you know it's Beam Suntory, uh, so it's always the Toki Highball Machine. But I was like, I'm, I'm not selling Toki because I'm an American whiskey bar. Can you brand me one that says Jim Beam on it? And they were like, uh, Yes, <laughs> for you, yes. So there you go. Oh uh, yeah, they're amazing, and Highball culture is coming back into yeah. fashion, right? Yeah, totally. but I'm sure you're seeing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll one on ones, easy enough. It is, and uh, yeah, mainstream places are just adding Highballs to their menu. They also realize that they can make a little more money. Um, which helps that, uh, you know, for too often you can get a gin tonic for five or six or seven dollars, and especially cocktail is nine, ten, eleven, twelve dollars. And so they're leaving not money on the table, but if they serve a gin and tonic as great as your specialty cocktail, maybe they charge seven, eight, or nine dollars instead of five, six, or seven dollars. Mm-hmm. And close they, the gap on that middle they, section. Yeah, they make the money. And you know what? The customer wants it. Like, why does a customer go to a great bar or restaurant and get soda gun tonic? Like, tonic out of the soda gun is literally the number one cause um, of health code violations in New York City is the soda gun. <laughs> yeah. um, and everybody who's ever worked in a bar or restaurant knows how nasty that thing yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who have friends who worked in a restaurant or they had a vodka soda that tasted like cranberry, they know that. So then the bar all of a sudden offers um, uh, better highballs with real mixers. Um, the bar makes more money and the customers are delighted to pay it. Well, right. Yeah. And also, like, you feel, in, I, I think there's probably at least something to be said for the guy who, I just enjoy a gin tonic, mm-hmm. right? And I go to these places, and it's all fancy, fancy, fancy. Yes. And the gin tonic I get isn't that great, right? So you somehow you feel like you've been left out. Yes. Right? You've been, you've been overlooked. You've been overlooked. Also, especially cocktails. I love them. It's like, I don't know. 
sometimes they're not so great. And you can go to a place and say, especially with all these great distilleries, like how many awesome gins are there out there? Like I love Tangeray. Um, I love mainstream gin. But then there's all these craft distillers, um, you know, Dorothy Parker down the street right here. Um, that's an awesome drink, a Dorothy Parker and tonic. Oh, yeah. Um, and so someone can be delighted in a way that they're guaranteed to good, get a good drink. And actually, I think bar owners who I talk to say they love it because my staff can do it well each and every time very quickly. And again, not leave a guest uh, upset or wanting more. Yeah, or, or again, sort of just feeling left out. Yeah. yeah. I went to... Um I went to Spain yeah. a couple of years back. I uh, went to San Sebastian, and I visited a bar there called Gin Toneria, which uh, touted at the time they had 132 gins and 132 gin tonic recipes. Wow. Right? And they, they, they uh, in Spain, they, they leave out the and, right? It's, right, it's gin, gin tonic. tonic one, yeah. one sort of word. Um, <clears throat> and it was incredible. And again, the Spanish gin tonic, which we sort of touched on earlier, which uh, I think Ferran Adria kind of kicked off. And that's a guy who was, you know, molecular gastronomy. Like he was making food that was, you know, tearing open the world at the time, right? And then he comes on and he he makes a gin tonic in a goblet glass with tons of ice and chills the gin and then adds more ice and then at least, you know, a handful of juniper berries and a couple of flower petals and maybe a thinly sliced uh, citrus and, and then finally a lot of tonic. And I think that's one of the big differences too, right? Um... I think in America, you get your pretty standard pour. It's one and a half to two ounces of spirit in a highball glass with ice. But that spirit's warm, as you mentioned earlier, coming off the back bar. It's not chilled. And then you're trying to pour in your carbonated liquid, which then only has maybe an ounce or two ounces of space in the glass. Let, like... That's the problem. First of all, we're, we're working with a number of bars and restaurants around the country to make sure they use highball glasses. And I'm, I'll not say, but there's a very high-end steakhouse chain that we're working with who serves all their gin and tonics in lowball glasses. And it's like country club pour with, you know, two and a half ounces of, uh, of booze, some, like, soft ice, and an ounce or two of tonic water. Like, I'm 43 years old. That's not what I want when I'm having a nice steak. Like, I want a gin and tonic and a wonderful gin and tonic. I think it should be like one to three-ish, one to three and a half-ish. So, like, yeah, two frankly, ounces booze, six... Even more. Yeah. Like, I like it. I like to... I'm, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the flood the gin camp. Yeah. Like, the gin still stands up. It still comes totally. through. But the, the carbonation remains. Yeah, especially... If you use a tonic like ours, which isn't so goddamn sweet. Um, and is also more carbonated than right, most, right? right? But most tonic waters, you know, literally had as much sugar as Sprite. And sugar is bad. Which I've never compared them side by side, like you mentioned. Yeah. And that shocks the living shit yeah, out of me. Yeah, but if you go to like I a, don't drink that stuff in general, yeah. but like that just shocks the shit I remember out. at one point I went to one of those nightclubs and they had the carafe of tonic water. that Like you didn't know if it was 7-Up or, or uh, tonic water. <laughs> um, but sugar is bad for a lot of reasons. You know, Obviously, it makes you fat and tired, but it also probably cures cancer, probably causes diabetes, like all these bad things. If you're a drinker, sugar's bad for another reason. It masks the subtlety in the spirits. Yeah. And, you know, we're not 15 years old drinking Tang and Everclear anymore. Like, you go into a bar or restaurant, you want a nice drink. And if your tonic water, ginger beer, ginger ale uh, has too much sugar, you can't taste any of those subtleties. So I think with a nice gin and tonic, you can actually taste the subtleties of a good gin. So you need a decent amount of tonic, but then you also need a tonic that's not too sweet. Balance, man. It's all about that balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, it is all about balance. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to know that there are people like you out there that are really, um, you know, kind of, again, sort of, it seems somewhat inadvertently yeah. thrust into this world. But you too, right? Yeah, all of us. We're all thrust into this world in some way, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's all the, it's the series of happy accidents. It's the nights of being like, you know what, I'm going to do this and having all your friends like you'd be like, okay, yeah, man, sure. And then <laughs> so it's that. Five years later, you're still at it. No, that's the real trick is keeping doing it. 
like a lot of people have a drunken idea, but then it's waking up the next day and doing it and then doing it again and again and again. So it needs to be something like to stand at a, a booth at, in Union Square 33 days in a row. <laughs> it's like bonkers. I did at Whole Foods. I did like 27 demos in 28 days yeah. um, when I was starting. Like there's something you got to be engaged with it in some, for some reason. Well, and also I think there's a, there's a certain sense of um, like going, going with the tide. Like when you, know, when you have a good idea and you know it's a good idea, you can almost kind of feel the forces yes. of like the market and society kind of pulling you along. And I think, again, the fact that, you know, the first places that your yep. mixers were available were at like, uh, you know, Gramercy Tavern and Milk and Honey shows that and there Whole is Foods. This, That's no And Whole Foods. That's no joke either. Yeah. 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 But it, but it shows that there is this, you know, this hunger for something that's not just sprite but slightly different tasting totally. but then you have to get you, right, have this, to, you have to get your business straight too like Graham's tavern and milk and honey were fine having me delivered in a borrowed car but at some point you want to service other places and they don't want to deal with some random dude who gets stuck in traffic like you got a borrowed van right no you need like to work with a big like wholesale distributor who has every account has like a um an account set up on there and they get deliveries three times a week and they bring in the storage in the same place at some point you got to make it easy for people, but it's that like you you need both. I guess is the answer you need to have a better product that like people are pull, uh, want, but then also the wherewithal to actually get it to them, and that's what has been the hard part for me because I don't know what I'm doing, I haven't come from the industry. Right, but I think that you know now 13 years in, yeah. you are from the industry now at this point. I know. Totally, and also I think that like what a tremendous like leg up you had well, yes. in that these these tastemakers totally. We're on board immediately. Oh, Tastemakers like like those two gentlemen we mentioned, plus plus Whole Foods, like they're, yeah. they're they're no joke. They don't they don't just put any old thing on their shelves. Yeah, I would have had no chance without that. I always tell people like, hey, if you want to make a product and try to sell it to people, it's got to be twice as good as anything else because there's so many disadvantages to being the small guy who doesn't know what he's doing. So your stuff, your juice, your your mousetrap has to be twice as good. Yeah, you're like you know if you want to do this, you need to start with Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> And things have gotten harder. <laughs> but at least, yeah. I think that's at least a mentality you should have. Yeah, yeah. You should say to yourself, I want this, this should be on the shelf of a place like that. You know, whatever your market is. Yeah, yeah. But you should, you should kind of be like, I want the, the, the ultimate goal to be that. And yeah. just in your case, it happened to be the first target. Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of inadvertently hit, right? They reached yeah. out to you. Yeah. Which is, like, ser- that's just incredible. Yeah, it's like, incredible. That's, that doesn't even the make The world sense. has also changed. Like, there's a lot more small food and beverage companies starting now than there were 13 years ago. So sure. it's, in a way, gotten easier, but also in a way, gotten harder. Right. But you're out there. What uh, so let's we've talked about a couple of your marks. Let's talk about a few more. Yeah, so we have what's new? We have one, two, three different tonic waters. Wow. Four different tonic waters, sorry. We have this our like kind of original one, which is really dry. Um, then we have an Indian tonic, which is kind of custom purpose built for uh, London dry gins. So it's gonna be a little sweeter than our original, but also a little more uh, quinine, a little bitter. So it's basically a bigger tonic to stand up to bigger gins. Uh, then we have a light one, which is you know half the calories and is just cleaner and crisper. Um, so it has something like I don't know, 10 calories, 20, 15 calories per serving, like really low calories. And then we have an elderflower tonic, which a um, big restaurant chain asked us to make, um, which is, um, you know, think St. Germain or even think Fever Tree's elderflower, but a little uh, more dry, a little um, 
more delicate in its floral uh, notes, I would put it. So we have those four tonics. We have a ginger beer. Uh, we have a ginger ale. Uh, we have this grapefruit, which is um, designed for Palomas. Um, my wife loves them with mezcal. Uh, I made, made the grapefruit for her because she's a big uh, Paloma person, though I've actually been drinking a lot, or she's been drinking a lot with uh, St. George's uh, green chili vodka. I don't know if you guys have had oh, that. Oh, yeah, for that sure. That's delicious yeah. with grapefruit uh, and a spread, a little lemon. Uh, we have a light ginger beer, and then we have a cola, um, which is terrific, and nobody buys it, but it's <laughs> like... Uh, terrific in a bourbon uh, or whiskey cola just easy to, again a one one just two ingredient cocktail with like a, an orange in it it's just like a delightful wonderful drink um and you say nobody buys it why because it's hard to beat the king right yeah and our stuff tastes better than coke but it's right. um people just want to have a coke because that's coke and it's like of all the things i'm gonna fight it's just not there yeah right but it tastes a whiskey co- uh, cola with that is just amazing mm-hmm. so we i think that was 10 flavors and you were saying something about hibiscus. Yeah, so I'm kind of not out yet, but it's coming. It's yeah, exactly. Right, well, which my uh, daughter calls top secret. My daughter calls jibiscus, which is like a hibiscus ginger beer, <laughs> um, and it's uh, kind of floral and spicy and just kind of a vacation in a in a can. Like you put that with some vodka, and it's like wow. I, so have that nice purple color. Yes, like the fuchsia, like that bright, oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. I uh, I'll send you some samples. I just made uh, did our first run last week, so we'll have some. Uh, at some point this year. You mentioned offhandedly a couple of times Fever Tree, and I think to myself, man, I don't know if I would mention my competition if I was in his world. But then I think to myself, I'm friends with all the bars that I work near and next to. Are you guys pals? Kind of. Um, I think Healthy healthy competition pals? Yeah. Little little shit talking on the side pals? Yeah, so (laughs) they obviously have done really well. They're worth something like $3 billion. Whoa! They're a a public company in England. Um, And I just have like so much respect for them because they started about the same time I did. That said, that our founder started with $10 million and a private jet and comes from the industry. So he, <laughs> he was knew, delivering in his jet. Yeah, right. And I, exactly. <laughs> like borrowing a car. Exactly. And had distributors and all that. But they've obviously done a wonderful job. They, I don't know if you saw the news this week. They had a terrible week this week. Um, and their stock market price went down like 25%. They Ooh. basically, we have been the first ones who have ever successfully competed with them in any market in the entire world. And either U.S., they just projected a growth to go from up 30% next year next year to only up 10% and they're yeah they're just kind of trying figuring out the US um but again I have like tremendous respect for what they did is and my general perspective is I think the two people two of us make a category it's like you know coconut water um uh, or even mezcal right now that you have like a bunch of mezcals like it's expected for a bar or restaurant to have a mezcal mm-hmm. and you know illegal might want to be by itself in the category but actually i think they're better off when there's a you know an ecosystem of other other, other i totally people. agree yeah. with that yeah tides and boats man yeah, right yeah totally um well man this has been a great chat thanks for uh joining us on the show today um if people want to get a hold of your products where do they go got a website or yeah, whatever go to our website qmixers.com um we're available at just about every major retailer in the country. Uh, it's not just Whole Foods, but also Safeway Albertsons, Kroger, Target, um, and uh, with a whole list of them on our website in the uh, you know availability page. So QMixers.com. Amazing. Uh, well, man, thanks again for being on the show. Really great to have you. Uh, I'd love to have you back another time, and we'll actually crack some open and make some drinks at the Speakeasy Bar in here. Done. All right, buddy. Uh, well, that's it for this this week's episode of the Speakeasy. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week, guys. Cheers. 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 With your rock and roll load Knows that country music's gonna save your soul The devil groove in that rhythm and blues That's him It's gonna get you
Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.